0: So, in the show notes, you'll always be able to find the link to watch the video on our YouTube channel and make sure that you hit subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. Thank you so much for supporting the show and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. I'm your host, Heisha Mazouz. And on this week's episode, I was joined by Roger Wilkinson. We discussed a lot about Roger's entrepreneurial journey as in 2007, he took the leap to start his very own recruitment business called the OHO Group. So over the last 15 years, this has been the business that he's been building after only working in recruitment for less than a year. So as you can imagine, in 15 years, Roger has had to reinvent This business multiple times. But there was a pivotal moment, and that was in 2016, where he realized that the business that he'd built wasn't the one that he wanted or was proud of, or was best built for the success and future success of the company. So, in this conversation, we really delve deep into culture and how Roger, over the last number of years, has rebuilt a culture that he's proud of. And a business that he is proud of, that's successful and profitable. Enjoy the episode. Roger, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's it's great to be here. Thanks for coming in, despite, I guess, yeah, you said whole whole team, whole family's ill. So Yeah, yeah, I'm doing some serious night shifts at the moment and day shifts, but I'm here. Got some coffee. coffee. Exactly. I'm Let's ready. give it a real go. So, look, really looking forward to, to break down this journey that you've been on. Like I always like to do at the beginning particularly for someone with the, how long you've been on this journey for, I think it's just really useful for people just to have some immediate context. So obviously today, like we're gonna really focus on this entrepreneurial journey that you've been on um, because you started your own recruitment business in 2007 after working in recruitment for a year. That's correct, right? That is correct, yeah. (laughs) It's actually less than a year. Less than a year. So yeah, you've been building this business for just over 16 years which is a long time. It's nearly two, yeah, you're going on to the, the two decades mark now. So like, I'm going to add some context here. And if there's anything that you want to add or you think I'm missing, then please do. But I'm just going to do some sort of highlight things here, broken it down into sort of three key bits when we prepared for this. So just to give everyone a bit of an idea. So end of the first five years, I put down here that you ended up around 20 heads in the first sort of five year mark. And I'm not sure exactly what revenues were, but around a million I put down here. And then the next five years, so up into 2016, you got up to three million net fee income and around 38 people. Now, this is where it was a quite pivotal moment, which we're going to talk about here, where then you sort of ended up going on this journey where you went from around 40 people down to 12 to 15 people. And you've been on this sort of rebuilding journey, which is what we're going to go into. And then from that point... You've sort of been on this uh, growth journey of 40 to 60 percent per year and you're now back up to around 21 people now or you're around 30 people oh, yeah around
1: 31 people now yeah.
0: around 31 people hoping to be around 50 by the end of the year um you can continue to to grow revenues and net fee income so this is what we're going to break down right this is the story that we're going to break down so i guess let's just start with a million pound question because yep. i'm sure particularly with your model hiring a lot of people that don't have experienced grads you've thought a lot about this so what's roger's take on what characteristics and traits do you believe make up a highly
1: successful recruitment consultant in in today's market there's the obvious ones which which everyone's talked about like motivated resilient but for me there's a couple of extra things i think you need to have a level of ambition that it, it could be that you want to make the most amount of money it could be that you want to progress faster than anyone else you've got to have that burning ambition to to do better than your peers and that could be you you might be come from a wealthy family you might come from a From a from a tougher upbringing, but you still have that ambition. I think you need social intelligence. I think to pick out a good candidate and a good personality doesn't necessarily need to be. You don't need to come from a strong academic background. You just need to have that intrinsically in you. Those are some key areas that I would say make a difference for us. I also think you just got to be happy to pick up the phone. Mm -hmm. You got to be able to have it, happy to have a conversation. If you're, um, you you, you don't have to be a total extrovert, but you've got to be happy to do that. It's interesting you say around that
0: first bit because had Lewis uh, did a conversation with Lewis from Wiser and the way that he coined it. I don't know what you think about this, which I really liked, was he found that it's typically people that have a point to prove, even yeah. internally, externally might I, change over time.
1: I used to have a um, an advisor, and he called it fear. The fear. Yeah, he called it. Some, he he basically said you would need to have this almost nervousness <laughs> that I think. Uh, the ambition to succeed is just as powerful as the fear of failure. Mm. I would say that, that, that's totally true. I mean, I know recruitment companies that will hire people that have to relocate, that they have no money. <laughs> they're, they're kind of risking it all and they've got to make cash. We don't necessarily hire for that. But at the same time, I think that is a, that is a very motivating factor mm. uh, to succeed.
0: So less than a year's experience and you decided to go on an entrepreneurial journey. What gave you the
1: right to do that? Where did that confidence come from? I think it was naivety mostly. Um, I came into recruitment uh, wanting to set up my own business, and there was a friend of mine's dad who wanted to partner with someone. So originally going to go into a partnership with them, and it quickly transpired that he saw it as more of an investment than a um, than a partnership. So I bought him out within the first few months, but. I think the confidence to really do it was probably more naivety. I didn't really know some of those ups and downs. Um, I think in, in the long run, it probably held me back. I should have been in a bigger business. I should have learned some decent structure and it would have, it probably would have accelerated the business by at least five years. I think.
0: So if I was to be sitting in front of you in 2007, like, and I said, Roger, what, what do you want for the Ojo group? Like, what do you want this business to be? what would you say?
1: So right at the start, I probably wouldn't have had a very good answer for you, to be honest. Um, I would have just been trying to pay the bills. Um, (laughs) But later on, we kind of compiled what what we're about as a business. And we wanted to be the supplier to the top tech innovators in the country, in the the UK. So genius style candidates, really interesting tech, just being at the forefront of that the whole time. That's what we want to be number one for. So you wanted to what?
0: Quite early on, then you had ambitions t- for it to grow. Wanted it to be. Oh yeah, we've
1: always wanted to be one of the fastest growing companies in the UK. Where does that come from? I think that's just my ambition. <laughs> um, I wanted to make sure that. I think with recruitment, there's, there's huge amounts of opportunity for people, and like I said, you you can make a lot of cash. But w- one big area I think is that level of progression. You can learn some certain skill sets. You can learn some great management skills. um, You can bring those skills into your personal life um, to make life easier and better. And if you're tying in with both people that want to make cash and people that want to progress, you need scale. And you can get some really great people to work alongside that maybe isn't all about money for them, but they want to be running and building a business.
0: So why don't we, what I really want to get in. To review is this journey that you've been on since 2016 and sort of what you learned but just just really quickly for people listening that might have ambition to start their own recruitment business or might be early on i know we're sort of going back some time here but obviously i'm i'm going to assume that because you did like you said you didn't have that much experience there's going to be certain things that yeah just took you longer to learn or you had to learn the hard way Mm. but looking at that initial period in the first couple of years like what ended up being sort of the sort of most surprising in terms of you went into it naively it was like yeah i can do this i'll make it happen but looking back what ended up being sort of really surprisingly hard and, and difficult about starting a recruitment business
1: so back then starting was tough. Mm. You you had to you had to put down five or six grand for a server. If you wanted a decent <laughs> office space, you were committing to three years. You were basically a couple of hundred grand of commit commitments. The risk of it failing uh, was just a, it was really scary. Nowadays it's just not that, it's not that tough. But I think some of those structural things that you can put in place are, that I didn't put in place, we succeed in terms of billing. We succeeded in terms of picking up great clients and delivering really, really well. Where we failed was building a structure in place that, when people got three, four years down the line, we didn't have a bulletproof structure. In fact, we we had a bit of a wobbly house of cards. So, although we made a lot of money, I think although the candidate and the client experience was actually quite good, we everyone was like slightly peeling off into different directions as we, as we scaled. So, there's a people part. Yeah. The people part and the management part, I think it's a lot easier to teach pe- people how to sell than it is to teach people how to manage. Mm. Management takes experience. Mm. It takes years. Whereas selling, you can you can learn that aspect fairly quickly, I think.
0: So why don't we, because when we prepared for this and also like when you dropped me a note on LinkedIn, sort of what really sort of struck out to me, which was why I was interested to speak to you, was like just this sense of overall commitment to building a culture that you're proud of. Yeah. So why don't why didn't you describe the business in 2016 to us? Like, why don't you just, just take us back to, yeah, you're going into the office in 2016. How would you describe the business then? And you can take that anywhere. The culture, the people, what you're about. Like, why don't you describe the business in
1: 2016? So the business, I think, had a high-performing culture. People were making a lot of money. The clients were getting a good service. The candidates were getting a good service. But on the management team, it was... It was argumentative, I would say, and so we just started pulling off in, in different directions, and it meant that it was um, it was just less of a fun culture to be in. Uh, for me, I want to be in the office. I love going into the office. It, it's part of my sort of my structure and my my framework for life. And there was a times when it was when it was pretty tough, and that part of it. I would definitely never go back How to How many it.
0: people were in your management team?
1: So back then, we probably had, I think we had about six. Okay, so what was the structure? So it was like what you had, directors, associate directors, you had billing managers? Yeah, we had billing managers. We had one non-billing manager, sales yeah. director, and yeah, the, the rest were team lead stage and, and then myself. And I think moving from, so go, going from one to 10, as a sole person, you can manage 10 people. Mm-hmm. As soon as you get to 20 people, that becomes a little bit more creaky you need you need a stronger management team in place and as, as soon as you get to 40 you you really need to be performing with your management team making decisions by themselves you might be the vision but but it's it's really much more of a collective and and democratic management approach as opposed to that 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 probably autocratic approach that that you start with and getting that blend right so that your management team is making decisions that are in line with um, your vision and values of the business that takes time so that by the time they get there and they're making those decisions by themselves, they're making them fairly harmoniously. I don't think you want a really soft management team because you want people with a bit of heart. You want people to stand up and go, come on, we, we, need, to, we need to perform. Is this good enough? But you don't want people just sort of shouting other people down.
0: <laughs> so when you say argumentative, like, what do we mean here? We, we're going to go into a leadership meet and Roger's going to go, no, we should be doing this. And someone else is going, no, we should be doing that. Like, what what did that actually
1: look like? Yeah, I, th- I think... And this is part of my upskilling as well. So when you're a manager, you want to be asking like, good, open questions mm. and coaching people through that. And a lot of the time, depending on what your promotion structure is, which at the time was for us was, Bill, pick up clients, it's much more comprehensive now. So that people that are reaching those management levels are actually, they're doing presentations on the values, they're talking about what they've learned, they're developing skills so that they can sit around a management table, ask questions about, what everyone is thinking mm. and then make that decision afterwards. So quite often, and you'll have this at a junior level as well, you're, you're I was in, in the pub on Friday chatting to someone, he's like, why did we take away deal of the week? I love talking about deal of the week mm. and we would, you know, on a Friday, we talk about deal of the week and we were just making a lot of deals and it was so lengthy <laughs> that I'm not sure people were learning as much about it. So we turned it into BD of the week and talking about that side of the things and the successes. But his opinion was quite different, even though as a management team and a collective, Mm. we decided this was kind of the best route for the business. So you can have people at kind of a junior level that will have a strong opinion on a situation because that's their perception of it. And if you're sitting around a management team table, then you need to empathize and understand before you've really stamped that mark on your decision, you're listening to everyone else's and you're not coming into that meeting already having your mind made up. So you had okay. So you had a lot of people in the room. Then that were got to the
0: top by being selfish, focusing on their own performance, self-centered. They got there by performing, billing-wise, sales-wise. Exactly. Yeah. Which okay. is
1: which is natural. Um, yeah. But I think when you're running a business, you need to make sure that they're developing in other ways as well. So lo- as looking team.
0: back then, just on this two, 2016 period, because let's be honest here, outside looking in, three million pound net fee income, circa 38 people. I'm sure you walk into a pub and your mates go, oh, Roger, how's it going? And you're going, yeah, it's fucking great. Making good money, good-sized business. So, like, what were some of the lagging indicators here? Because, obviously, to go from then, yeah, the, the 40 down to 12, 15 people, we can talk about over what period and sort of how that manifested. But I think what what would be really good for people to learn here is, obviously, you got to that point and then you made some changes. Mm. But I'm sure you reflected on it. Like, what were some of the things leading up to that point where you then had to make some more drastic changes that maybe people could learn from where they're starting to recognize or pick up on like, oh, you know what, actually we might have people in the wrong seats here, or we might have to work with this management team to get better at empathizing and understanding and listening to people rather than just deciding and telling people what to do. So were there any sort of one reflection? Were there any sort of lagging indicators looking back that maybe you could have acted a bit earlier on, or you could have taken accountability and gone, hey guys, look, I feel like we could be doing better at this, or maybe we need to sort of start thinking about this. W- was there anything there looking back? This podcast is proudly sponsored by Sourcebreaker. And today I wanted to talk to you about sales opportunities and how Sourcebreaker can help. Because are you tired of the competition beating you to new sales opportunities? Do you want to make more placements? From your existing resources. Who doesn't? Transform the way you work with Sourcebreaker. Revolutionizing recruitment with AI-powered technology, Sourcebreaker powers you with laser-accurate search results across all your sourcing platforms to build candidate pools filled with highly qualified individuals, all from one place, not from multiple tabs in different places. You will get perfect fit opportunities automatically tracking relevant vacancies and events in your market niche in real time. And pre-built automations that constantly scope your markets to deliver high quality results at speeds your competitors simply can't match. Head over to SourceBreaker.com for more information.
1: Back to the episode. I think you know when things aren't working as well as you would like. Because if you sit in a management team and it's going well, but you know your growth mindset, you're always looking for improvements to make, you can tweak one or two things. And you focus on that on, on the month and you really nail that process down. If things aren't going that well and you perhaps aren't billing as much as you would like, I think now is a slightly tougher market. And that's when we'll start to see some of these some companies creak maybe a little bit and, mm. and see high attrition levels, is that you, everyone starts to have a solution for the problem. And everyone's solution is a little bit better than the other person's. And you've got to cherry pick which one you really focus on. And when you walk out that management team, everyone has got to get behind the decision. And if you've developed a team which, as soon as they walk out that room, they're they're kind of up for it and they're going to be up for that challenge and they're going to move forward, irrespective of whether or not they necessarily believed in it, I think you've got a pretty good winning formula. If they walk out that room and people are like, oh, I'm not sure, that's that's not what I believed in, then you've got a formula that could... uh, it's probably going to not end very well for anyone. So there's plenty of warning signs, but I think ultimately it comes down to, is your workforce harmonious? Is it happy? Is it improving? Do you have those constant small steps forward? It might not be the perfect solution for everyone, but are you constantly moving forward?
0: Okay. And then was there a moment then that you were like, looked in the mirror and thought, not proud of this business,
1: not happy with what it looks and feels like, um, so we had a couple of sections of the business in London and I was starting to open up, uh, separate sections of the business and open up a Scottish office. And th- there was a period when i get a phone call from literally being in Scotland for two days. And, um, it was like, the world's crumbling, you kind of almost need to come back down. And I was thinking I've, I've made a mistake here. That sort of adage that you, you're not a leader till you've taught a leader who can teach a leader. I was miles off that. And I think that was a point where I was thinking, okay, well, I've scaled the business to a certain size. I've got overheads. And this this might be true today where there's some businesses that maybe haven't nailed down some of their practices perfectly. They've scaled in the good times. And you get to a situation where you think, shit, I've got a lot of overheads here. I need to make money. I don't really want to take a step backwards because I've never really done that in my life how do I ride my way through this and that's a that's a tough realization that if you're someone who always wants to move forward you mm. might have to take a few steps backwards to 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 go forward or or it, or it might be enforced on you
0: so the realization was then what i'm getting is the business even though it was at that size and had a management layer was still very much reliant on you and wasn't capable of running self-sufficiently without you
1: yeah i mean they were they were great performers in their in their own right but as a team that was pulling in the right direction to achieve the numbers we needed to achieve and, and just hitting our goals it wasn't happening and then and then you get people it's, it's possible to have a bit of a blame culture then okay
0: so well, I, yeah so look I want to go into then over the last few years but just just really quickly on this then yeah because I'm sure you've reflected on this yeah, yeah like for me I'm I'm big into personal responsibility like you said there then the blaming I don't, I don't think you can get anywhere in life by having a victim, victim mindset and not taking accountability agreed so when when you look at that period then like as a founder, as the, the person that was driving that business forward, made the decision to hire these people, made the decision to promote these people. Where do you think you fell short then? I
1: didn't have a great promotion structure. Okay. So I wasn't training and developing people in areas that that I now know to be critically important. Yeah. And I can see it happening now at off with teams at the moment where I'm thinking, okay, this could lead to this, which could lead to this. Mm. Um, so just keep an eye out for it. That structure is important. So what you want is between promoting people on your values. One of ours is is humility. Mm. So we won't have that situation where you've got someone who's like total kind of arrogant asshole that's pushing yeah. people down to lift themselves up, which I probably allowed allowed to happen because I was promoting this like high performance. Hey, we have got someone who's just had like 20, 30 K paycheck and uh and they're totally killing it in the marketplace. And I was fanning the flames, if anything. <laughs> um so so yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go down that, that road again. There's a bunch of things which I know that I shouldn't have promoted people as quickly as they mm. they should. And it, it's tricky if you're hiring with grads and you want them moving forward and you don't want any speed bumps, you want them to accelerate through, you want them to be managers as, as, uh, as fast than anyone else because that helps you hire, that helps demonstrate, hey, we've got superstars in my team. But really, it's not good for anyone. Mm. Just end up having attrition. Everyone gets frustrated, you're stressed and the performance in the long run is it's not going to help anyone. No, I appreciate you sharing that.
0: So where did you start then? Like, obviously recognise actually, yeah, maybe I've, I've done a few things wrong here or I've obviously learnt from them. I feel like I could be doing this better. I feel like we could have a better culture. We could have better people in the right seats. Like, where where did you start here then? So when we said, yeah, like and then went around sort of 40 down to twelve, fifteen. like was that
1: over a long, <laughs> a long period or like where did you actually start? It was pretty quick when I decided that, the Scottish office is not really working. Mm -hmm. I need to come back to London and need to basically almost go back to basics. Yeah. And the start was sort of, it was almost my way or the highway. We're just going to make it work and we're going to, we're going to outperform anyone. And we just went back to that. And there was some, a lot of hard conversations with people and are you on the boss? Because we're going to make this work and are you up for it? And, some people really were and some people, some people really weren't. So I remember having a conversation with Joe, sales director at the time, and we're going to scale down. We're going to go to a new office. There is blood on the walls in this place. Let's move out of it, go to a new office. But when we go in there, we want to have deals galore coming through and we're just immediately going to create positivity. And we worked our ass off for Mm -hmm. three, four weeks. And as soon as we got in that new office, it was actually probably a little bit longer than that because we had to sort of see our lease so it was it was about six weeks when we decided to do it and we'd been working really hard up that point so we left that old office on a little bit of a high and there was a buzz going on and when we hit the new office which was much smaller we were kind of a bit more crammed in there rather than looking at all these empty seats and it immediately changed and from that point it became a movement forward that we had more of that hockey stick graph where like, okay, let's take it a little bit slower at the start. Let's get it right. Let's make sure the processes are, are really nailed down and that each person is is good before we move on and we start hiring again.
0: Mm-hmm. So basically you just yeah for, like got your house in order, got the right people on the bus on the journey, and then it was like, right, we're going to go again. New chapter, new sort of season uh, of the IH uh, group. But when it came to, obviously, if, obviously, you, like, looking back, it was the leadership team, management team, including yourself in that, that didn't quite end up working. Mm-hmm. Why don't we just focus on that for a second? Like, when then the moment came of, like, okay, well, let's start growing. We're, we're getting some good success. We've got a high-performing team. What is it that you did... That was different this time in terms of promoting people. You said they're around promoting on values. What was it that you're like, right, okay, well, when we do promote people and when we do have people more in management seats, mm. what are the non negotiables now
1: compared to, yeah, obviously when they, it didn't quite work out? So, one of the things I started to do was hire experience or at least have a, a flow of experience coming through. Because if you're just a purely graduate model and someone leaves from the top, unless you've got someone that's ready and waiting to step up, and I think you're in trouble mm. because. You then get this rite of passage where people kind of expect to be there. And you do need a little bit of outside outside exposure. So that was one side of it. In terms of the development piece, every quarter we'll have a a promotion meeting and everyone will score themselves against varying values. And that could be as much as like system work or values in the business. They score themselves out of 10 and write a little little blurb on that. And then there'll be some managers' comments on it and whatever they're focusing on, as well as our headline promotional goals will probably be some softer skills that people are working on, which they'll need to do before they get promoted. And those opportunities every quarter that that you're sitting down and chatting with people and developing them, as well as doing it on desk, you can kind of look back and see that journey that people have gone on. And that's something that as a small business and starting out, it's very easy just to bill, pick up clients and recruitment. It can be 20 blokes in a room. And the difference between that and a really well-organized business is these processes that you that you nail down, the rigor you put into it, making sure that you're having formulaic starts and ends to the year and mid-year reviews. Those sorts of things are really critical even when you're in a smaller business. So how do you promote someone on values? You're not purely promoting someone on values. You're just probably not promoting them as quickly if they don't hit your values. So if one of our values is motivated, and you've got a contract biller or someone who has a great client, they hit all the billings, but they're not really challenging themselves and moving forward. Although they've hit that number, it might be that you're actually saying to them at an early stage, "Are are you delivering? Are you delivering enough to be a senior here? Are you delivering enough to be a principal? Because I'm wondering where you're at. And we would often score people... We will allow them to score themselves on a monthly basis how they feel their input visits, their output is out of, out of 10. So you can kind of see what they genuinely think and that decision gets kind of, kind of made for you. So it's not necessarily that you're trying to hold people back. You're trying to get the best out of them mm-hmm. to perform. And that promotion, that increase in salary and that next step for them, if they're not going to work for that and they're going to coast, it's going to end up... Being that they're not going to enjoy it in the long run, they need to be improving, and that's I think the structure of what a promotion criteria should be should be about. So it sounds like you, you utilize like scorecards and things. Then, so like for example, oh, yeah. if I'm in your business,
0: you said humility area. So if I'm in your business, I'm a permanent recruiter, and to get my next promotion, I needed to do consistently for the last quarter fifteen grand per month. Mm-hmm. How do I? I'm just trying to understand because it'd be helpful for people because this might be something that more companies want to do. Yeah, obviously promoting someone on their performance is just way more easier. It's like it's in black and white, right? yeah, yeah. which is why I, that's how typically people do it. So like, how are you then measuring my humility? Like, how are you then? Is it like, okay, so each month he should score yourself out of 10 on how you think you're living our values and humility is one of them. I'm going to go, you know what, eight out of 10. Yeah. How do you then measure that? Is it just completely subjective? It's a tricky one because if they put
1: 10 out of 10 for humility, yeah, just you're like, right, <laughs> like, well, it's not very humble. <laughs> uh, but it's down to them. And it could be that you're actually going, hold on a second, I, I think this isn't quite right here, is it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and having a sensible conversation on it. And then there might be some example cases where you said, okay, look, this was this situation, this scenario, this has happened a few times. How do you think that impacts others? What do you think that does to the business? This is an area that I want you to work on. Let's make sure that this happens and then you're reviewing it at the end of it. You, you need to give people, plenty of warning, plenty of opportunity to improve. It's, it's much more about, that gives you a structure to, a clarity that people can work to. Mm-hmm. But it's the on desk bit that really makes it okay. Because you don't want to get to a promotion meeting and say, sorry mate, you failed because you're a bit of an arrogant bastard. Mm. That that should be totally clear beforehand. Before they get to that point. Yeah, exactly. So why don't you, I was taught, because I know this is sort of what you're passionate about then. So what
0: else did Roger intentionally do culture wise in sort of rebuilding this business the way that you wanted it to be so like what else have you spoken about the promotion criteria promoting people with the values you also spoke about getting more senior people into the business so then if you did have someone leave then you don't have someone with six months of experience going roger look i'll have that promotion please like i don't i think i deserve it like, what else, what else have you done on this journey to be really intentional around building a business that you do walk into and go, you know what, this is this is excellent. This is the type of business that I did want. This is a better functioning management team. What else did you do really intentionally then on, on the culture side within the business?
1: I mean, there's loads of little things. I think, to a certain extent, when you're talking about culture, if you're having to have a lot of conversations about culture, you probably haven't got the best culture. But what you do is you just put, you put a bunch of things in place and... It can make a huge impact. So we have a lot of feedback sessions. I'll have once a quarter, Roger's round table, where we'd go for a meal, I'll have some pizzas together and talk to different people in the business about what their thoughts are rather than just chatting with the management team. For me, that office environment should be a really healthy environment. It should be a positive environment. You don't want people coming off the phone, chatting to a client and go, oh, for fuck's sake, it's such a wank, wank. That just that just breeds a little bit of negativity. So you don't want them being negative towards candidates or clients. You want to keep that a positive environment. And then you want a healthy body and mind. So we'll do things like last year, we got a personal trainer in place. We did three peaks together. I didn't think that I'd be climbing three mountains with an amazing bunch of people, but it was genuinely one of those kind of life-changing events to the point where we're doing it again. We're doing something this year where we're looking at taking a group of us or whoever wants to do it up to a mountain in Slovenia. And we'll do that on a weekend. We'll put a bunch of different processes in place, whether it be having breathwork sessions, uh, talking about health and fitness and diets, just creating a really high performance culture. You can have someone performing really well who sits at a desk for 14 hours, and makes insane amount of phone calls, and they bill a crazy amount. But I don't think that they'll keep doing that. At some stage, they'll kind of go, what am, I, what am I doing with my life? So create that structure and that foundation, that skeleton what which people can really live by. And when you're hiring grads, a lot of the time they're coming from university, it's the first time in an office. You really want to demonstrate, okay, this is a sustainable way to, to live your life. Okay, so all sounds great. How is, does this positively influence the
0: management meetings that you now have then? This podcast is proudly sponsored by VinCherry. Today, I wanna to talk to you about the power of the recruitment operating system. Disjointed tech systems are painful for growing recruitment companies. Too much admin, bad data, and no visibility. It's holding back recruitment organizations. Meet VinCherry. Vincery is the creator of the recruitment operating system, a modern operating system for recruitment and staffing agencies worldwide. This natively integrated tech platform syncs data and workflows across recruitment agencies front, middle and back offices. Start off with a suite of modules, a core CRM, ATS, advanced reporting and analytics, video interviewing and more. That's just their core product. Vincheri also works with a pre-integrated access products to expand your tech capabilities. Link up your recruitment websites powered by volcanic or cover screening and pay and bill with the fast track integration. It's time to unite front, middle, and back offices on a single recruitment technology platform. Unleash growth without gravity. Let's go. Find out more on vincheri.io and because you listen to this podcast, you get a discount, check it out, enjoy
1: the rest of the episode. I think you just got a happiness on the floor. If you've got a situation where you're having to say, get on the phones, you've got to hit this KPI, you've got to hit this number. And, th- and it's a frustration running through the business, then you're going to have negativity. If you can create an environment where it's like having sort of a lead sled dog versus a a chariot with the horses and they're almost pulling away from you. There's times when you need to be that lead sled dog. There's times when the managers need to be that lead sled dog. But if they can create that high-performing culture, then they end up standing on the chariot with the horses pulling away from them and you're just steering in the right direction. That was an analogy from Roy Ferguson. He always liked that one. Um, But creating that happy environment will create a high-performing culture. You can make money in a toxic culture, but it's always... a it's always a bit short term. So if they are the sort of things you do now then what sort of things were you doing in the past
0: then? Just what lunch and like just piss ups every friday like what?
1: Yeah, what? and we we still we still have a bit of a piss up. We still have mm. Michelin style restaurants and all the rest of it. But we last friday we had a goal which was if teams didn't hit a certain goal then we would all go for a 5k run together. Okay. That just would never have happened <laughs> <laughs> because everyone would go, I'm not doing that. And everyone was kind of up for it. And a bunch of people walked it and it was kind of totally, you had to be up for it. But at the same time, everyone everyone was up for it. Everyone who didn't hit was up was up for it. It was just a little bit of fun stick. We have a lot of carrot. We have a bunch of different targets and holidays and all sorts that you can win the whole time. But there's you also need it. You do need a little bit of stick. But you need people on board with that as well. You can't kind of people just go, ah, I don't want to do that. So
0: how have you now got better then? At how has Roger created Leaders? How have you done that then? Because sounds like that's what you struggled with in the
1: past. Yeah, it's training from an early stage. It's train, 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 develop, develop. So we'll have a future leaders program and that runs two quarters of every every year. And they will run a team of the future leaders together and they'll run and perform and have some targets which they lay out. They create a budget on it. They perform together. We, we discuss how to motivate people, how to get the best out of people, difficult situations that people have got when they're running weeks. And someone might be in that from under a year with us. And by the time they get to a manager, they've probably done two years worth of Mm. experience of actually managing by the time they get there. So it's just about training and development so that by the time that they get there, they've got a lot of exposure and a lot of experience. We also have an advisor that spends an hour a month with them to talk through some of those management and career development pieces so they just have that period of one-time coaching mm-hmm. that i think helps support them that's just an outsider's point of view as well i think those are the major bits it's really is just a development piece if you stick someone in a role and a sink or swim it's going to be a bit stressful for both the manager and the person doing it it doesn't mean that they won't succeed it just might be a little bit more stressful
0: no yeah so common i i um I think one of the most underserved communities in the recruitment um, industry is that leadership layer. Just so many people are just sort of, yeah, learning (laughs) as they go in that role, pissing people off, being shit managers before they become good ones. And it's really difficult. No one really gets taught how to coach. They just get taught how to tell. So I understand that you're trying to equip people with the skills before they even get there. So it sounds like, yeah, you've obviously partnered with someone or outsourced part of that or do things, but like, is there anything that you've done that you think better this time round? Obviously you, you've clearly invested advisor these things for people, but do you think there's anything that you've
1: done to set these people up to win rather than, than fail? When you're starting off a business and you haven't got a lot of cash and you want to make sure that the bills are paid. Sometimes it's a little bit tricky to see the wood from the trees Mm. and go, right, this is the vision, this was our structure, this is the game plan that we came up with for this year and I'm going to maintain it, I'm going to keep on top of it rather than just make sure that money's coming in and that we're scaling. That, I think, for me, it's just about maintaining the game plan. The team cohesively comes up with a game plan at the end of the year. My job is to ensure that we hit that. And then
0: how have you structured the the leadership team now then? Have you been conscious of how many people manage, like these types of things, because we did at Recruitment Mentors, we did a bit of a, a sort of insight and performance survey on our customer base and I think one of the sort of always sort of struggling areas, we're just talking about that leadership team, I think a lot of people find themselves <laughs> managing seven, eight, nine, we had some people say that they manage 10 people while still having a number. And we found that the sort of average recruiters to a billing manager ended up being
1: around five.
0: Yeah. So how have you approached that that leadership
1: layer out of interest? Yeah. So, I mean, last year I saw that problem happening. So we brought in an experienced hire to support the younger managers to mm-hmm. make sure that actually they aren't getting swamped. And that development piece was there. It's just having enough hierarchy to support them, but not so much hierarchy that those top spots are, are just getting taken up so they don't have the opportunity to, to scale and, and to, to be, you know, one of the integral people in your business. That I think is the key. It's just giving them the support and the framework to be able to do it and then keep you on top of it. As a manager, I think if you don't check up on it, just expect that it hasn't been done. And mm-hmm. so if you put something in place or you come up with a strategy, then just keep on checking up, checking up, checking up, checking up. That's critical.
0: So let, let's switch the gears here then before we um, finish. I know obviously a big thing you want to talk about is culture, right? I feel like we've spoken about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah and, and I appreciate you sharing all that. I guess, look, definitely top of mind for a lot of people, but from what I can see online and our conversations, it seems like, I don't know exactly when you started, but let's talk about US expansion and, and sort of what we learned there, okay. right? Because I know that's something that you've been uh, really focusing on or has been part of the, the business journey in more recent times. Looks like you've been focusing on Austin, Texas. Yeah, What's been difficult about that so far? wish
1: we did it sooner really yeah I think it's not as easy as people think probably I've ended up working really long hours supporting the US team because it can be tricky when people leave the office at six, seven, eight, and you've got a US team that's a small team that's there until the to the, to the latter hours but so far so good I mean to be honest they're both the, the, the two people we got the two top billers in the business at the moment so and that's from a standing start so um, what was the go-to-market then? What was the game plan? So we just kept it super niche to start off with. So the plan was just support, but we had, we didn't actually really have any clients out there. It just was one person was like, I, I want to do this and I want to go to this location. I'm like, there's a good market there. I know there is, Let, let's go for it. So we just kept it one area, not one person. We put a couple of people on it and we want a couple more in the team now and just keep focused on that really tight area to start off with. And we got given roles outside of it and we just haven't really worked it. We've, we've just stuck on that tight area. And it's having a combination of, I think, a few little clients that are scaling and just one flagship client as well. And we managed to nail that like really, really quickly. So How long did it take until this guy did his first deal? Well, actually it was another team that did a deal sort of randomly that was... Kind of before we'd even launched it, and right. it was just a contact that said, "Can you do this?" And We're like, "Okay, well, we're launching, so let's give it a go." And we mm. ended up making two or three deals there. But I think it took him two months, maybe. Okay, it was a bit slower than we initially planned. Like we started last year, and that Q four was a bit a bit lower than than we would have hoped a little bit, and then it's and then it's really accelerated since then.
0: So, what what have you been most
1: surprised by there then? Much money you can make. <laughs> um, I think it's not as as easy as people think. I think there'll be a lot of graveyards, everyone trying to swarm to the US. And especially if you're putting one person on it and mm-hmm. going, here you go, good luck. Cause you're taking someone who's probably experienced, you're having to invest in, you're going to want a minimum two, but maybe three or four people going after something, got to expect some spend and cash on it. And I think it's probably not as much about picking up the phones and hammering it. I think that you need to be able to pick up the phone. You need to speak to a lot of people, but you can mark it out and, and and pick up clients that way I don't think the US particularly like working with UK based clients I think they would much prefer it if you were in situ oh really yeah I think that those working hours are they're a challenge I Mm. think to get people that are just really up for working that late into the night consistently well yeah I think there's got to be I've spoken to people and that's been the real challenge
0: particularly if you have I speak to one guy who there's one person in the team doing it with obviously the plan for more people to do it, but you see the UK team leaving at UK <laughs> hours, or you know they have a six side team game that you can't go to because you're working US hours and you're the person that's only doing that. It's difficult.
1: Yeah, yeah. They, they, I think the person's got to want to do it. You need to have someone that's wants to go to that location and wants to do it. If there's any doubt in their mind, you're gonna you're gonna struggle. You want someone who's passionate to go out to a certain location, make it happen. There's definitely a lot of opportunity though.
0: So as you mentioned money a lot then, what, what's, what's ended up being like the average deal size? I think
1: it's about 23 grand, something like that.
0: And what have the terms that you've agreed been a lot more, because typically when I've interviewed people around it, it's been, yeah, you, you're you way more likely to get 25, 30% terms agreed.
1: Yeah, I think that's creaking a little bit now. So we were just chatting about it last night, actually, there was another new client that we picked up and we put across 30% and they went uh nah, it's 18% <laughs> and and uh, and I think they're having a conversation with them today as to what that's going to end up but we we're, we're sort of building a name for ourselves at the moment I mean I did, really don't want to go below 20% but there's some different things like you you can't ask you can't ask a candidate's salary just some legal things that we probably weren't as aware of yeah, wh- before we started if you had
0: uh, the um the other common one that we've picked up on here has been working jobs that you haven't got signed terms for
1: yeah or or even just I've heard that you can if you put an advert out for a contract role and it's a certain rate and you and you end up taking one on at a different rate you could get sued for it so really yeah yeah you you got to be a little bit careful I think of mm. um in a litigious society
0: just final bit on this then what what do you think has really worked so far then so obviously having a niche having a focus and just doubling down on that yeah 100%. is there anything else that that you found just obviously from your perspective been doing, have you always done the UK market then or different EU-UK?
1: Yeah, pretty much entirely UK. Yeah, Uh, so
0: from outside looking in then, what what do you think they've also done well besides just having a real niche and focus
1: that's gone down well, that's helped them get traction in the US, do you think? I think it's that perseverance, it's that belief that is out there. You've got to understand the market. I think it's very easy to market map these days. You Mm -hmm. take out LinkedIn Insights and see exactly who's hiring where the attrition is, you know, you can, you can kind of build it. You, you can build your market base really, really quickly, but building a database of candidates, it takes time. You need to, know, you need people that are probably want to get out to the US and want to get out there as quickly as possible. So they're putting together a really good plan. It's a really good, well thought out plan. It might be that you're not just going straight after clients that actually you're going after candidates first. It's chicken and egg really, isn't it? And as soon as you've got that first piece of business, you're really making sure you deliver exceptional quality.
0: So look, as we come to the end here, obviously you've been on pretty lengthy journey. Yeah. Like, obviously we've spoken a lot around leadership, culture, speaking about the US, things you do differently. When I say to you sort of what has been one of your sort of biggest lessons personally for you on your own journey, on this entrepreneurial journey, being a
1: leader, what comes to mind? Sprinting at everything is not necessarily there the best solution <laughs> be considered make sure you've got proper structure framework and you're, you're happy in your life with what you're doing there's going to be tough patches but if you've got that framework and that support to get through it then you know that that's a short-term thing you can see at the moment people are finding this market a little bit tougher the fish have definitely stopped jumping into the boat but actually we've done 40 percent growth this q1 and we're seeing the market still pretty strong and i think that's foundations of having really great relationships and having a happy workforce and just maintaining that, having the awareness, the understanding, the skill, the experience, to be honest, it's tough to do if you haven't got the experience and you haven't learned from other people. So learn as much as you possibly can, take as much advice as you possibly can. I think that's that's probably my best uh, advice to myself. But at the same time, you need to be able to cut through bits of advice that work. You still need to have your kind of ideology yeah and what you I'm, stick to what you stand for 100% and there was times in the past when I kind of took advice that was I perhaps wasn't mm. didn't work out as well as I would have liked so experience experience yeah Roger thank you so much it's been a pleasure <laughs> it's great to have a YouTube sensation I'm <laughs> looking forward to the boxing match <laughs> there we go
0: thank you so much for listening to this week's episode I hope there were plenty of golden nuggets for you to take away as you know, I'm your host here of the Recruitment Mentors podcast, but I'm also the founder of Recruitment Mentors. We're a online subscription based learning and education platform. We're on a mission to help thousands of recruiters achieve their professional goals and successfully progress their careers through modern and engaging online learning. if you're a recruitment business owner listening to this, there's a good chance that you value self-development, personal development, you're trying to develop a culture of continuous improvement. But we've partnered with a number of grown recruitment companies who were struggling to understand how they can invest more in their people, how they can upskill them more quickly without spending more time, without having to spend thousands of pounds of external trainers. And we've ended up being a really great fit, modern fit for recruitment teams